So they say that uh, time heals all wounds, but the Leafs screwed us over on Sunday and it's Thursday and I'm still a bit pissed off about it, guys. So let's dig into this and uh, start this thing off proper. I like drinking beer and I like talking hockey when I get to do both. I feel pretty lucky. Oh, let's get pucked up. So welcome to the Leaf Grief edition of Pucked Up. Um, I'm your host, Robin Coymans. We're going to be talking about basically just the Leafs on this one and what a piece of garbage of a franchise they are, (laughs) Um, or at least that's how I'm feeling at the moment. Basically, I see us going through, uh, we're we're upset, we're sad, we're basically going through all the stages of grief right now at the Leafs' uh, early exit, which was sadly not even in the postseason this year. Um, And I have two good friends um, who are fervent Leaf supporters, or at least were probably prior to this latest collapse. I don't know. I don't want to speak for both of them, but I have two good friends here to help me out. On this episode, we have recurring guest Spencer Phillips, all the way from PEI. How are you doing, Spencer? I'm uh, I'm still a Leafs fan, despite their best efforts. But um, I I'm going to dive into something. I'm taking a beer from uh, outside of PEI. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, he has a beer. Nice. You know yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. That. I don't know I... if it's any good. Uh, I've had his wine and his whiskey, yeah. but never his beer. So I'm going to crack this, and you can introduce our next guest. Sweet. I forgot to mention I'm drinking um, District Brewing Co. Session IPA from Regina, Saskatchewan. Our other guest, Devin Granger, I don't think he's quite as uh, kind to the Leafs right now as you were, Spencer. Devin, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Yeah, a little bit under the weather at the moment, so I'm drinking a Gatorade to get my electrolytes up. Um, Other than that, uh, you know, it was a – interesting couple of days and I took some days off from really thinking about the Leafs so hopefully I'm coming into this uh, episode uh, with a few kinder things to say but we'll see (laughs) yeah so um, I guess the structure of this episode in my mind is that we're going to be basically going through DABDA which is the denial anger uh, bargaining, depression, acceptance, the five stages of grief that you go through when you like lose a loved one, I guess, um, which is pretty sad, but also kind of apt right now with the way that we're feeling about the Leafs. So uh, we can probably breeze right through denial, I think. I, I feel like none of us were naive enough to deny that this was happening to the Leafs when it happened. And um, it's already said and done. So unless you guys are uh, somehow still in denial, let me know. I Otherwise, we'll move on to anger. Because <laughs> I think that's where we're going to get most of the juice for this episode is in the anger section. Um, yeah. They're just finding new ways to toy with our emotions, finding new ways to break our hearts. Um, I might let Devin Granger delve into this one first because I know he's got some interesting things that he would like to say if uh, if he's so inclined. Um, Devin, are you are you able to kick things off for us with anger? Well, like I said, I took a couple of days here just to dial it back a bit and think a little more clearly. And I just want to borrow a bit from Steve Dangle when he was when he was talking about it, he kind of just came to terms with the fact that, okay, the Leafs just, he said, aren't good. 
you know, I guess I would even be a little more sympathetic and say they're just, they're not quite there yet. They're not quite ready yet. And I can take solace in that um, rather than inflating my expectations of what the team's going to have. But because we're on anger here, I'll talk about some of the things that I am a little bit upset about. Um, First one being is I want to see a little bit more, I don't know if this is the right word and you guys please chime in here on this, but I want to see a little more honesty and upfrontness and transparency from the, the, the leadership of the organization, like Dubis, for example, in talking about where he sees some of the deficiencies and how he sees some of the deficiencies. And he has pointed out quite clearly in his post conferences that the idea of like taking that next step and it's a mental game and the will aspect of it, that that isn't a very crucial thing that needs to happen with this. But I feel like he's been so ingrained in his own philosophy and his own values that while there, while it's a good thing to have, you know, faith and he uses a lot of numbers and statistics and data to look objectively at what's going on. I wonder if he's kind of blinding himself to the other opinions and ideas that are out there. And I just, I question to the degree to which he's willing to let the the way that the league is is sort of sorting itself out right now and the way people are playing if he's willing to let these ideas come in and shape uh his philosophy even a little bit just to add more things in not to be so rigid and dogmatic in it so i'm a little bit upset with that i'm upset with a few of the trades that he made too he's just looking back over the years with the goaltending and he should have been able to get a backup goaltender a little bit sooner I don't think Halibut was the answer here. Um, I like the addition. Oh, yeah. Halibut would have been the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, Campbell uh, is a great pickup, but, you know, this needed to happen a long time before. The Kadri trade, I'm upset about that. Uh, and here's why. Did anyone think that Barry was actually the answer? I want you to think about that honestly. When we got Barry... And Barry was the big pickup. A lot of us, at least I was thinking, was, well, yeah, he can, okay, puck possession, more puck possession, great. Like he can, he can move the puck, he can skate with the puck, but we had Jake Gardner. Is this just like a Jake Gardner on the right side now? Is this actually fixing some of the defensive, defensive deficiencies? It turns out it didn't. It didn't at all. And there's no knock on Kerfoot, but I don't think he is the offense and, and grit that we had with Kadri. So I'm a little bit upset about that trade before I, you know, pass the torch on. I am upset with, you know, the net front presence and the lack there of it that I saw in the playoffs. I, I want to see more of that. I watched the first game of Tampa Columbus. I saw more net front presence from Tampa than I saw from the Leafs, like the whole series, at least you know, I could be wrong in that, but that's just what I was seeing. They were willing to get in there and take a few hits. I didn't see that happening. And then um, there was one more thing that I was going to comment on that I was uh, a little bit angry about, but I can't seem to remember it at this point. So I'll just pass the torch on there. I'm sure we'll unearth it over time. Um, Totally. Yeah. Spencer, any of your thoughts on uh, either something that Devin just said or something else that you might be angry about right now? 
So yeah, I got a I got a list here. Yeah. I, can, I can go on for a while, but to touch on what Devin said there, um, the the cadre trade like is a really really interesting thing to look back in hindsight with. Like, I I liked the trade at the time, but I also didn't believe it addressed things in the way that most fans would have wanted. Like Tyson Berry, like you said, comparisons to Jake Gardner, Jake Gardner on the right side, but he was also $2.75 million for a year. And then you kind of figure out what he is after that. Um, and production-wise, Kerfoot kind of came pretty comparable to uh, to where Kadri was producing the year before. So like at the time, I was able to justify the trade, even though I was you know, realistic enough to think like Tyson Berry does not kill penalties. Tyson Berry is not going to fix our defensive shortcomings, but I like the idea of defensive depth. And he addressed that without giving up, like, you know, how many playoff games has Kadri played in the last couple of years? Cause he's a jackass. Like, yeah. I yeah, love that Kadri. I miss him so much. Yeah. Let's but, not uh, forget what he did yeah. to at least the last two <laughs> rounds against Boston, basically. Exactly. So, yeah. And there was a reason, like, I, I just remember Coleman through Twitter after that fucking jackass move. And it was, uh, well, he's got to go now. Everybody was shipping him out the door. So as far as a return for a guy you decided you were going to get rid of, I felt like that was fine. I don't want to spend my whole time talking about this trade, but on the list of things I was pissed off about, Barry, I put in brackets, played bad. CC, <laughs> I put in brackets, actually bad. Um, like, I don't think Tyson Barry's a bad player just uh he did not work out he only had a year to figure it out unfortunate situation so i'm i'm going to be hard on dubas for some other things that's one thing that i can kind of work in my mind a little bit of like a middle ground let's get into what i'm pissed off about um (laughs) mitch fucking marner like i said this in the off season i still think mitch marner is an incredible player but you asked for this you asked for every bit of goddamn money they'd give you and now you're dealing with it. You could have signed a sweetheart deal at nine and a half million dollars and everybody'd still be a little bit in love with you, even though we'd be pissed off. But yeah, let us how many wingers make this much money? Artemi Panarin and he's a heart finalist. Like um you put yourself in a category of players where you need to produce and when you don't, you're gonna hear from the most rabid media out there. So um I I at the time, like if I were to rank things that pissed me off after game five, Mitch Mariner. Freddie Anderson. And I want to talk about Freddie Anderson for a second too, because I've been one of his staunchest defenders. I have a Freddie Anderson Funko pop order over there. I ordered uh, bab socks, like the major league socks with the players on them. I ordered two pairs of Freddie because I know I was going to give one pair away and I wanted a pair for myself. I love Freddie Anderson, but uh, how many times have we seen that? Like, this is a pretty casual play. I'm pretty confident. Freddie shit. Like, uh, Game one. Yeah, Devin's raising his hand. Uh, game one there. Uh, Cam Atkinson coming down. Pretty casual play. Should be a save. Game five. Liam Foody. What the hell was that? Like, you know, we need a save. It's a one nothing game. Keep us tight. Um, and you're scoring from behind the net. Like, that is absolute horseshit. Did you have something to add there, Devin? Or? Well, yeah. I, I did. And what I wanted to add is... I, I talked about this in the last podcast. And I think I was the only one who is not being shamed by the other people in the podcast for ripping on Freddie a bit, but um, I agree with you. Like, it seems to me that there's something about him not being able to make the save that we need. Um, Whether it be like an actual, like, you know, 10 bell save or at the right time, or even in these cases, shots that you're just like, what? Like you were making some good saves and, and then this, like, you can't be doing that when Corpus Allo is making 85 saves, 
you know, that's the Tampa game, but you, you get the, the point that I'm talking about. I don't know if he's the actual guy for this team. It's four playoff rounds in a row. He's been out goalie. And that's just like, you can look at his regular season stats. He's an above average goaltender. I really, really like Freddie. And uh, considering what we had before him, like this guy is the best goaltender we've had since Belfort, obviously like in, you know, since I was 14, the first time I've been able to stomach watching a goaltender. So it hurts me to, you know, harp on him, but it's just that, you know, how many times do we have to watch this in the same way that we're watching everything else without addressing the fact that Freddie's just not making that save that we need. Um, whenever, you know, uh, the two goalies in Columbus combined aren't making nearly as much money and they're, you know, they're able to steal the series. So one last thing I want to go on for anger, and this is like the irrational Leafs fan in me, the like in the heart of the game, in the middle of the second period, absolutely pissed off, rabid, uh, is officiating. Like, I, I don't know how four years running the Leafs have ranked at the bottom of the uh, penalties given and somebody hasn't said something. I wrote down here, like, just fucking say something, Shani. Like, you know, this is a team that pays into revenue sharing. We're the heart of the media. Create a story. Throw it out there. Make it a big deal. Um, and, like, this leads us into a bigger conversation about the difference between playoff officiating and regular season officiating. Robin has played soccer with me. I don't know if he's seen the worst of me, but like, I hate referees. Um, and like, I mean, um, I, I appreciate the job they do. They <laughs> keep, they keep things going and whatever, but like nothing pisses me off more than an uninvolved referee and nothing pisses me off more than game management from a referee. And, uh, that's what I just see across the league. You can look at it in any series in the regular season. Um, it's so inconsistent and I don't want to be that guy who blames the officials because the least did not show up to play well enough to win regardless but also this team that has like a crazy power play that we heard all about leading into last year they tore the league apart with like 50 percent of the first 10 games then stopped getting power play opportunities and haven't really since and uh when they're playing columbus a team that you know can't score on the power play who does this benefit and why in the goddamn fuck is west mccauley thrown into that game five at the last minute a guy who never calls penalties it's just i don't get it the optics always look bad and I, I just can't believe like somebody hasn't said like, Oh, you know, the, the biggest team in the league that keeps getting fucked over, whether it's intentional or not by officials, why don't we just do something that makes it look good so that we don't have to hear about it. But anyway, that's just, that's the angry fan of me. <laughs> Go ahead there, Devin. Uh, I just wanted to say like, I'm surprised that more people aren't actually talking about the difference between playoff refing and seasonal refing. I don't understand why there is a difference there. It's the same sport and the way that players train and they do everything and their style sets them up for that. And I don't care whether I'm a Leafs fan or any other fan of any team. It just seems to me like there should be a level of consistency there or it just basically, you know, pours water into, you know, the drink of the sweetness of the drink that is the way that we ref. It dilutes it. It's like, what's the point then? You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. So I find that to be a little bit strange too. Yeah. All right. I'm going to chime in with a few things. Uh, just my, my two cents on the anger side of the side of the coin, I guess. But uh, uh, first of all, I've been beating this drum forever, but I do not for the life of me understand why Cody CC is on this team. They Dubas made the trade to get rid of Zaitsev's contract. Internal data, man. You just, you got to see that data. It'll all be justified. Yeah, sure. And, uh, 
This is actually a situation, Devin, where you were saying Dubas needs to go outside of his own like kind of analytic stats approach approach and maybe listen to some different people. I think he listens to other people too much or put too much stock into the pedigree of Cody Cece. Probably listened to Mike Babcock too much when he made the signing. I'm guessing that Babcock wanted Cece more than anything. But um, yeah, you didn't have to sign Cece. You could have let him walk. I don't understand what the point was to having him and then playing him top four minutes all the way through as well. Keith was doing that. You, like, I just don't understand how this guy or the eye test, if, don't worry about the stats. The stats aren't great either, but the eye test tells you that he's a step behind everyone else on the ice. And I just don't see how there was a place for him in the lineup. Let's uh, also talk about, like, I, I don't want to shit too much on Keefe, but his decision to put Martin Marinson in instead of Rasmus Sandin, I was not pleased to say the least on that one. Not that Marinson was like, well, Marinson was responsible for like one goal, I remember pretty blatantly. But, um, and not to say that Sandin would have been perfect. Sandin's young, he, he he's mistake prone as well. But, I just don't see the value for the franchise or just the value in a guy like Marinson over Sandin in this situation. And people can say, Oh, Sandin's too young. He's not ready for it. But that's just like old school thinking. I, I don't understand that. I think that Sandin could have stepped up for one playoff game. So I honestly think it's like, it's entirely uh penalty killing, which I'll give Marinson credit. Like he's a fine penalty killer, but there was too many opportunities too, where he got the puck whether there was a bit of pressure on him or not. And he couldn't get it out of the zone. And that's the problem is like, you know, Rasmus Sandin can probably do that. I, I think I was talking in a group with you guys where I said, it's going to be Marincin. And uh, I, I didn't like it, but I understood it. Um, when you're taking Jake Muzzin out, who's going to fill his shoes better? Well, the things that we're going to miss Jake Muzzin for, Marincin, like maybe fills out a little better. Um, I hate the idea of like um, doing too much with Sandin at this point in his um in his development too, like uh, this is pretty high stakes hockey for him. Um, you see how the dogs have come out to tear apart everybody else. Um, what would, I mean, it probably would have been pretty soft on him, but just, uh, I, I kind of understood it at the time. It poorly executed, um, hard to defend the, the decision in the end because you know, it's Marty Marincin. Go ahead there, Devin. Okay. So a couple things there, Robin, you questioned the idea of Dubis and his, you know, he's listening to other people around him. Sure, perhaps. But then again, my question to you guys is, as Leafs fans, what is the philosophy of the Maple Leafs? What is, and before we answer this, I want to kind of just talk a little bit more in as well, but what's the philosophy of the Maple Leafs? Where is it coming from? To me, it seems like Dubis continues to reiterate a particular philosophy. And then would you not also say that Keith is the person that is the coach that he hired that shares that similar philosophy once we define it together? And if so, is Marincin uh, aligned with that philosophy? What do you think about that? Or is it more Sandine? Because I would have thought it would have been more Sandine that aligns with the philosophy that Dubis and Keith supposedly share. Um, 
I don't buy the idea that Sandine wouldn't have been ready for it. We have a guy like Robertson in there. We see lots of rookies going in and doing amazing things. From what we saw of Sandine, he was fairly poised. Another thing that comes along with that is we've already acknowledged the fact that Columbus can't score on the power play to begin with. So why can't you put Sandine in the top six and use him and or other people to kill the penalty there. I, I don't think that's an issue. If puck possession is your game, what the heck's Marincin doing in there? Yeah, I don't puck understand. But I am curious. What is the philosophy of the Maple Leafs in your eyes then? Well, I think that there's inconsistency there for sure. Um, I think that we also are painting them to be entirely this one philosophy or the, entirely this one thought process, but maybe they're trying to be more balanced, listening to other people's opinions. But I'm going to liken this to just a a drafting analogy. Um, Teams that draft for need rather than drafting for talent often get screwed in the end. Like a team that, for example, Montreal drafting Isperi Kakanyemi third overall because they needed a center. Um, I don't know. That could work out in the end. We'll see. But it was not, he was not the clear number three or the most valuable player that was available to them at that time. So uh, what the comparison I'm making is that Sandine is objectively better than Marinson, and you want to put Marinson in just because he seems to fill more of a Jake Muzzin role. I think that you're thinking too much about um, just where to slot guys in particular situations rather than trying to field the best team. And I think that if you just field the best team, maybe you don't have to rely so much on I don't know. I, I I just think that you always have to field the best group. I think if we're being like entirely critical um, as well, like, you know, we want to be hard on Dubas, maybe the better option would have been somebody other than the two of them. Like, you know, maybe their defensive depth is just a shit show. And we saw that whenever one guy went down and we had to choose between a rookie who's great and a guy who we've tried for like three or four years and just hasn't panned out. Like, um, you know, it should be a contingency plan in place for whenever your most important defensive defenseman goes down. That's better than what they had. <laughs> and I'm going to get a little bit off topic. One more thing I'm angry about is the fact that this team, despite uh, outchancing their opponents and outshooting them pretty drastically, only shot 2% at five on five. That's just an, in, an indictment of the the mentality in this team, I think, because you could see that they were like in the right places for the most part, and they should have buried those chances. And Keith said, Oh, it was bad luck. But this is something that I think is just, even without fans in the building, it feels like there's, you, you almost feel like as you're watching them, they're in their own head. And it's been this way as long as I can remember being a Leafs fan. And so I think that they are missing these shots on clear cut chances. Like they're getting there all the way up to the point of just putting the puck in the goddamn net. And then they just can't do it. And they're in their own heads. Devin? Yeah. Okay. So you you touched on a few really, really important things here. Now, they're in their own head. Okay. So we haven't quite defined the philosophy of the Leafs because maybe at times there is some inconsistencies there. But let's assume that it's about skill. It's about puck possession, right? I think we can all kind of agree on that. Hang on to the puck, get your opportunities, let the skill take over. Now, if we are a skill-based team, I mean, you see any artist performing, music, dance, guitar, piano, whatever, 
even even on the soccer field, people with skill need to let those creative juices flow. I mean, from a psychological perspective here, Mihai Ching Sin Mihai, he developed that concept of flow. And when you're in a flow state, you're not using your prefrontal cortex as often. It's that cognitive thinking part of the brain where you have to analyze things. To me, that's what I see with the Leafs a lot. You have this skill, but one little hiccup comes their way, and all of a sudden, maybe they're holding the sticks a little bit too tight. They're not as fluid as they could be, or maybe there's some kind of relationship going on between everyone there or the way that the Jackets were playing that were stifling that, and it seemed like they were overthinking things, and they weren't able to just get in the right spots, put the puck in the net. There was one play in particular I'm going to reference here. I love Austin Matthews, but the puck got... You know, it was shot to the net. Matthews was right there. And he went for his little, you know, that little toe drag and like he almost wants to put it in the roof of the net when he's kind of up close. Like, you know, that kind of that play, we saw him do it against LA. Well, if he would have just literally tapped the puck instead of trying to drag it, it would have went right through the five hole of Corpus Allo. And to me, it's like, they're not actually getting in this state where they're just reading the game well. And I know I'm overanalyzing this, like, crazily and maybe people are like what the heck are you talking about granger but to me it's like they're just not entering this creative flow state where things are flowing well and they're moving fluidly together as a skill-based team anyways it just came to mind when you were saying that robin yeah uh spencer did you have something you wanted to add there uh i, I read uh Goes brown's uh article today for the athletic that was the eight potential I can't even remember what the title was, but it kind of examined eight different excuses for the leaf situation or eight different scenarios. And one of them I talked about was just like, could we look at this five game playing round or whatever as being as simple as luck? Because obviously I'm pissed off. Obviously, like we've talked about all the problems we have. I think we've, we've nailed down most of them. Uh, they shot 2%. That's shitty, but like, I can remember Austin getting a one-timer in the slot that nine times out of 10, he hammers home and Corpus Allo saves it. I can remember Tavares hitting the post in a one, nothing game. Like hockey is the league tries so hard for parody and to keep things tight. So like, you know, the Leafs were, I don't think you can argue that they weren't a more skilled, more talented team, more fun to watch. Holy fuck. <laughs> this is not fun to watch, but, uh, I don't think you can deny that they were the better of the two teams. They just got stifled by a defensive system where Columbus blocked every free shot they ever got the opportunity to. And the few looks the Leafs had, they were robbed or they hit the post. And you can look at that a few different ways, but like luck is a factor. And, you know, a couple bounces against Boston last year, Leafs win the series. A couple bounces against Boston the year before, Leafs win the series. A couple bounces against Boston in 2013, they might win. Just like, it's, it's how tight these fucking games are and uh that's you know that's the league yeah i'm gonna jump in like i do i do get that and i do think that there's an argument to be made there for luck being against them but they also you like you're mentioning how they got stifled by a better defensive system where guys were willing to lay their bodies out and block shots and to me that sounds like a situation where it's just two different styles of teams and one style is better suited for winning in the playoffs for delivering. But how the about if there's four guys on the ice for four extra minutes for Columbus? Are they blocking every fucking shot? Like, no, I'm getting into officiating again. Don't let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, if, if yeah. they're, if that, and that's, a, that is a problem. Like the playoffs, yeah. 
they, they need to have more penalties called because they're and they were the clear Leafs situations. comeback as well like the Leafs comeback as well was that not luck like oh that was luck for shots. sure so that's yeah exactly yeah like so like the, the three goals one, on like, three shots all of a sudden yeah right the hyman putting it through was like just uh i don't know it was a it was a shitty series i'm yeah. i'm crawling back into my hole boys no and just i think that um as much as i want to believe that skill wins out I don't see the results yet. And I feel like this team, not in this bullshit league. That's why not in this league that decides that the playoffs are different than the regular season. Not in this league that I wrote this down. I have to get it off my chest. (laughs) Um, This dumb fucking league that wants to put in a delay game rule to increase scoring opportunities, but won't call the infractions that have existed for almost a hundred years. Like fuck the NHL. Once we get into anger, I'm going to cool it a little bit. Okay. I know. No, we need this. This is is good. But like just, few more fucks fuck 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 the nhl there we go <clears throat> yeah um just the fact yeah that we're well so basically we're looking at it as either the leafs should win and the nhl is fucking them or the leafs should win and they are fucking themselves um both are valid arguments i think that it's a bit of both devin you want to chime in on that yeah, I just I think your statement though, Spencer, where you're saying like one team is clearly kind of better than the other or played better than the other. Certainly one team might have more skill, but again, going back to what Robin said, I think they are two different styles. And what do you mean by better? It's like the Jackets won and they won. How many goals did the Leafs let in in five games? Um Twelve. So like, I, I had just it. I had slightly. It. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> um, but slightly above. Like you know, if if you average out just above two goals a game for the entire season, you're the best team in the NHL. Like they actually defended fine. They okay. let in shitty goals at poor times, but like um, defense is the thing we shit on the entire time. And they actually defended reasonably well. They couldn't score. You can look like anyway. Yeah, right. but you can they, look at here's, here's, yeah. Spencer though. It's like why didn't they score? They, in my mind, they didn't score because they were they were taking a lot of shots that were totally within the plan, the game plan of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and it was totally predictable to them. I would say that. I mean, I don't know how the. I wish I had the statistics and like where they were shooting from on hand because it would completely you know disprove what I'm saying or approve what I'm saying. But to me, it's I think like, it would likely what the, prove what you're saying as well. Like I, I, I do agree the, with the perimeter. Yeah. Yeah, this is what the jackets were expecting and it's like to me they're playing their game they're they're working cohesively together as a team and what we saw from the leafs was yes high-end skill young people who are still growing but weren't quite able to just dial it in to me work in that creative flow state i know i'm coming back to this you know crazy idea that people are probably like that makes no sense but if they're you know, just uh, what do you mean? It doesn't make sense though, actually Granger. Cause just look at Michael Jordan, for example, <laughs> you know, now I'm, I, I, there's, there's the point that I can reference it. It's like the guy's hitting like, you know, three pointer after three pointer after three pointer, because every aspect of the game is coming into him at real time in a conscious and unconscious level. And he's feeling it and he's moving through with it. Albeit he also pushed his teammates. We need some leadership like that. But like, how many times did you see Tavares there in front of the net? And you're like, what the heck, man? How did, how are you not burying this? Are you like, you're just not, you're not in it yet. You're not in that, that flow state where you're like, you know where to put the puck. Cause I've seen you do this many. Here's a good example. Patterson, 
did you see that goal that he got where he like was falling like, as he was back falling he, down yeah yeah he just he knew intuitively what he had to do there he wasn't overthinking jack shit it was like yep there it is boom and it's it's Pedersen. like this guy is like a highly highly skilled individual but he's not the biggest guy in the world he's right there in front of the net he gets the puck on a stick for a second he knows where to put it i don't know to me it's like they're in sync there's something that got the Leafs off their game there. Their skill wasn't able to capitalize on these chances. They were taking probably muffin shots at times. That's why it was 2%. You can look at the numbers and say, oh, well, I mean, it's going to balance out and even at some point. It's like, well, the years that we've had to look at the Leafs teams here, to me, there's something not quite that right there. Dubas had this right when he said mentally speaking. That's my take. I think it's important, like, and this will be the last thing I touch on, I'll let you go on, Robin, but, uh, like, you mentioned the young core, and then you talked about Michael Jordan, and, uh, like, how long did it take Michael Jordan to win a playoff round? Like, I watched The Last Dance a while ago, I don't know how fresh I am, but, like, he struggled for a little bit, too. I think too. it took like, him, like, five or six seasons, probably. Exactly, like, Steve Eyes, like, you know, you can pull out a bunch of examples, and the, I think the reason I'm trying to rationalize this, I'm trying to make excuses that are a little more flattering to the team are, like, Austin Matthews is the third youngest guy on this team this year. Is what is he 21 or 22? Like this core is so young that the talk of blowing it up, even though I had that initial, like I was ready to trade Mitch Marner after game five, we all did, but man. after exactly. But like, after I think about it, it's like, there's a whole lot more that goes into this. And there's probably a little more patience that me, the Leafs fan who watched this team suck for 10 years should probably have, but it's understandable that I don't have it because I don't know what it's like to watch a winning team. So. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, Devin, did you want to just chime in a little bit there? Well, I was just going to say, Robin, like, it seems to me like we're skipping a few stages and starting to get into the acceptance mode. But I think (laughs) to your point, Spencer, uh, that's exactly it. Media drives out the narrative and we've, uh, we all can get frustrated and fairly rightly so as Leafs fans, because we're so passionate. We want to see our team win, but they're like, yeah, it's been four years. It's like, well, it's been four years, but two of those years, like, basically the guys are rookies it's like and you're expecting them to kind of carry them to the promised land right away but anyways go ahead robin yeah just a couple more things i see we don't have much time left before it cuts us out but uh one thing freddie anderson's save percentage can you guys guess what it was for the playoffs this year 935 yeah it was uh (laughs) it was 936 is that the Uh. most is is that not the most empty (laughs) 936 save percentage you've ever seen And uh, beyond that, I just, I, I also, I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but I did not like the idea of putting Andreas Janssen into the lineup in game five and taking out Nick Robertson. I also didn't like moving Willie to center for an elimination game. No, no, uh, I didn't. Yeah, like I agree on that. And I love William like Lander, fact, have faith in him. Sorry. I also, yeah, I also don't like the fact that Carolina is going to be drafting supposedly the best pros- prospect of goalie since Carey Price with our pick. Yeah, and that's anger. All right, so let's uh, move on to the next stage of grief, which would be bargaining. Now, for the purpose of this activity, I would like us to define bargaining or look at bargaining in the sense of what kind of trades can we make to make this team better? What kind of trades do we want to make? Who do we just want to see get shipped out because we're sick and tired of their bullshit? So, um, I don't know, Spencer, do you have any uh, any? ideas that you'd like to throw around as possibilities there for trades? So let's start off. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to monopolize this. I, I wrote my list. I have underlined the guys I think are realistic. 
Some other ones are a little off. Some are reclamation projects. Some are really lofty. Um, but like, let's confront the biggest issue first, which is going to be the TSN talking point. Are we trading Willie or Mitch? And I'm like, I'm really conflicted here because, you know, I've already made it clear how I felt about Mitch after the series was over. I was pretty, pretty disgusted with a guy asking for everything he could possibly get. And then whenever we needed him, he didn't show up. So that, uh, and I mean, points wise, he produced a little bit, but like, you know, he wasn't Mitch Marner as I'm used to seeing him. Uh, and Willie, like Willie's a really interesting case. Cause I've always preached, don't trade him. The value's low. Now his value is kind of at an all time high. Um, his contract is sweet. He's a very, very appealing player. If you're going to sell him, it's kind of, I, I remember reading articles last year about Morgan Riley, like, should we sell him while his value is high? And I didn't agree with it, but like, you can see the case kind of being made there. And that's the way I see this right now is, uh, you know, cap space is tight, flat cap kind of throws everything that we had planned for the next few years in the blender. Um, what do you guys think? Are one of those boys getting shipped off? Um, I don't know if they are, but in my mind, if I am making a decision, I would like to see one of them get traded. Um, I already, I already play, showed my hand with you guys last time we talked about the Leafs before the playoffs started when I said I thought that they should trade Mitch to Nashville in a package that would bring back Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellis. But uh, yeah, if that, if that's still available, I'm happy to do that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know after the way Marner played in that plan, but I mean, you can only read so much into the, into a five game playing series, I guess, is he's still got a ton of value. Um, yeah. I think you trade Marner. Um, and if not Marner, then you trade Nylander, trade one of them is how I feel at this point. I know that, I, I've, I've heard your arguments about keeping a young core together and I do really feel like there is like, I, I do respect that. And I think that there's something to be said for that. And there is a, the idea that the Leafs could just be the Washington capitals. They might just be having a tough time of it once it comes to playoffs and they need to learn their lessons as long, as long and painful as it feels to have them go through this type of uh, <laughs> just really long lesson learning process but the Capitals did win a cup eventually. And if we have to wait like 10, 15 years into Matthews's career for him to bring back a cup, but he does bring back a cup then it's worth it. So I do understand that. And that's the argument for keeping the core together, but we're also dealing with a pandemic reality with a flat cap for the next three years. And we've kind of screwed ourselves with having such a top heavy top four in terms of contract contractual balance. Um, I think it's, important to diversify a little i don't know just like move one of these enormous bloated contracts out right now that's my feeling um devin what do you think on that well i think you uh said you know quite a bit there that was well just just well said um on on both sides of you know what could happen here um i don't think they necessarily need to trade either of them I guess I'll take that position. Um, if there was like some kind of trade, like the one you proposed with um, Arvidsson um, and Ellis, like, wow, you know, go ahead and entertain it if you want, because that's pretty incredible. I don't think there is a trade probably like that not, available. Probably not. Um, but the way that, and I'm not just going to side with the way that Dubis would do it is the way that I would do it. But the way that I think they have it set up and it's available there if we want it is they have these younger pieces on like entry level deals that are going to kind of move up. 
like our Alexander Barabanov, our Igor Korshkev, Nicholas Robertson, uh, Pierre Enval, uh, Ilya Mikheyev will get signed as an RFA. And, so and don't don't even forget about the fact that we have Miko Lettinen coming in, who's a pretty decent defenseman and is like uh, already in his mid to late twenties, so has some experience there. Right. And again, I want to try to make sure that this conversation, we get to address everything here. So I don't want to like stretch and reach out and other boundaries and questions at this point, because I'll, I'll just let it go back to Spencer or you and we can move on to the next player. Cause right now we're talking about Nylander and Marner. So I would say you can hang on to them and you can still make it work with about $7 million to restructure our defensive core if you don't resign Dermot and or you trade Hall. But yeah, we'll leave it at that at this point and go on to the next players that you want to discuss in trades. Okay. So you are interested. I I I I feel like there's something there that I do want to talk about though when you're talking about the possibility of not resigning Dermot or trading Hall. So yep. uh what do you think on that? Do you think it's it's a a good idea, Devin, to to do, okay. to do that, something like that. Yeah. So here, here's a question for you, and it is that simply that question: Would you rather have Dermot, or would you rather have Justin Hall? Um, that you guys can think about that. You can talk about it. If we were to trade Dermot, because you just maybe you're not as impressed as you know as as you thought you might have been with him. Maybe you don't think he's a top four guy. The left side is locked in quite heavily, especially with. Um, Miko Lettinen coming in. Uh, he's left-handed as well. He could play on that side. We got Rasmus Sandin, who's clearly going to be in there. Uh, the right side isn't as deep, so maybe that's one reason you want to hang on to Justin Hall and then figure out the other two spots and then have Lilligren as maybe a spare. What, where do you guys think on that? But I, I would say you could probably only really keep one if you really want to change things up with the defensive core. So Dermot or Hall? Uh, Spencer, what do you think there? That's a really tough question I've never really confronted. Um, but uh, if you had asked me before this playoff series, I would have said Dermot, no-brainer, um, young potential. Uh, I, I really didn't think Justin Hall had a bad series. Um, I thought like people were pretty hard on him for the first game. I didn't notice him quite as much. But I thought he really settled in. And he was somebody that whenever Muzzin uh, and him were playing together at kind of the peak of their powers, and they signed that deal, I thought it was great. Then he really tailed off. I was starting to wonder if it was a mistake. And this series kind of validated like this guy still has something in the tank. I think game five, he got walked a bit. It was a little discouraging, but like this guy can clearly be a fifth or sixth defenseman. I don't think there's any issues there at a 2 million. That's fine. But uh, to answer the question, like I just think our right side is so barren that it'd be really tough to justify getting rid of Justin Hall over Dermot, unless Dermot can somehow transfer to the right side, which they've been toying with for a while. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen on last thing I'll say about that. I thought Dermot had a fine series as well, had some hiccups, but like that was some of the better hockey I've seen him play since he came into the league. Yeah. Um, I would tend to agree with what you said there, Spencer. I think you have to, if you're deciding between those two, which is a very real possibility given the pipeline and that you want to get Sandine and letting it into the lineup. Um, I think you have to keep Hall because First of all, like you said, we don't have much right-handed depth or right-side depth. And second of all, I think Dermot fetches you more in a trade because he's got more potential. He's younger. And uh, I think you could trade for 
maybe a right-handed defenseman or uh or a decent winger or something if you're shipping out one of the <laughs> one of Nylander or Marner as well. But, do you think uh, you could get a player like uh Josh Anderson for a guy like Dermot or do you think that's a bit of a stretch um, and also we don't know what Columbus is even looking for? I feel like Josh Anderson is a guy that is overhyped and overvalued by most of the league. I do like his game, but even in, with this past season where he was injury plagued and only scored like four points or something like that, ridiculous. I still think that Columbus values him too highly to do just straight up one for one with Dermot, but you never know. Um, he is coming off. This would be the time to try to try and poach a guy like Anderson when he's coming off of an injury plagued year and he's a, like a lower value than normal. So that's interesting for sure. Um, yeah, I think that Dermot could net you like, I think I said this before, uh, before we went into the playoffs, but like someone like Jake for potentially, I don't know if you actually want Jake for on your team, but, um, could be all right. Could be serviceable if you need to, if you need an extra wing after having traded another wing potentially. Um, but I don't know, Dermot, he, he did have a good series, so it's, it's tough to even, it's it's tough to be talking about him in this way because I don't I don't feel like he played that badly and like I think uh, Spencer you said like the team didn't I don't remember if it was Spencer or Devin sorry but the team didn't actually play that badly defensively all things considered um, in this series so I guess your yeah. al- your alternative then is if you want I know I'm making it like okay you got to have one or the other and I'm still going to frame it that way but you could always put like Dermot up on the right side he's played there before and you can get rid of Hall but I think you need to let go of one of those guys like here's another question who do you think would play better next year Hall or Lilligren? it's like this is a serious question to consider because you're paying Hall two million dollars and would you rather have a signed veteran who you know like a Justin Braun or would you rather have a Hall I mean also another serious question when you're thinking about cap space and what you want on your team and how you want it to look at. So I think there's going to be an interesting decision made there, but you never know. They might just sign everyone back and try to just go for one major right-handed defenseman next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Spencer, do you have any other thoughts on potential trades, trade chips that we could be doing with this roster? Like I know uh, Kapanen and Janssen are guys that we haven't touched on that everyone seems to want to get rid of off the roster. So, like, considering their cap situation, like, uh, I looked at some free agents first. And, like, just looking at the UFA list was kind of interesting. There were some guys there who kind of surprised me. And, like, I've seen people mention, like, Radko Gudis, like, uh, Travis Hamannick. Like, guys that the defensive side of the game that we lack, they would address that. Um, as far as, like, trade targets, I know uh, – we uh, did the very first podcast I was on, I think was kind of projecting our opening day rosters and Devin mentioned uh, Pesci. And that's like a, that's the kind of trade target that I see. I have Dumba is another interesting one. And then on a light version, maybe Damon Severson. Now Severson, I w- would strike me as more like the, I, I don't see enough of Damon Severson to really know what he is, but like he strikes me as more of the Tyson Berry. Like he's an analytic dubious kind of guy um who you know i i think of like picking him up in fantasy pools when he was on hot streak so like i think of him as having a bit, little more of an offensive touch where it might not address that defensive side of things but those are just some names that kind of stood out you guys might have some no i severson was actually one i was looking at too so i was trying to target teams that would be disappointed from this past season that would have 
decent defenseman that they could move potentially in a trade for like William Nylander or something like that. Severson could even align with like, uh, if you maybe did like Kapanen and Dermott together for Severson or something like that, which might not be great value for the Leafs. I'm just thinking that off the top of my head, but um, it's more of a, like if Willie was involved in that trade, that'd be one that I'd be pretty sour about. Yeah. Cause Severson makes 4.2 million against the cap. I was looking it up and he's 26 years old. He's rounded into a, probably the most important defenseman on the New Jersey Devils at this point because uh, P.K. Subban is garbage now. He's already scored an overtime winner for the Leafs too, if you guys <laughs> recall. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, there's a definite plus. He's already coming in with a filled stat, stat sheet for them. So One other name I want to throw out, and it's, it's a weird one because I don't really know how I feel about this one, um, but I watched the Carolina-Boston game yesterday, and I thought he looked pretty good. It was Joel Edmondson. And I couldn't like, I couldn't find out if he's good or not. I really have no <laughs> idea, but like, he's just, uh, you know, I, I, I see him like score goals in big moments. So that like kind of throws me off a little bit. I don't think of him as really an offensive produ- producer, but he did have seven goals this year. Um, but he's somebody that I feel like, you know, it could just be the beard or what, like, you know, it's just like a big body who plays defense, like an old school guy, but he's not like good Branson or somebody like that, where you can look at his numbers and say like, this guy is definitively bad. Um, so he's just a, more of an interesting case and he's UFA this year. So. Yeah. No, Carolina's definitely got a glut there. We could probably rip someone away from them. Um, <laughs> Edmondson's a possibility. Um, there was someone else I was just thinking of a second ago, but I forgot. I do remember like, yeah, in that, in that previous episode we did together, I'd mentioned something about trading Kapanen for Ethan Bear. Um, after these playoffs, I feel like that's less likely to happen. I think Edmonton would value Ethan Bear higher than Kasperi Kapanen. Um, Devin, do you have any any more thoughts on trade possibilities? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Joel Edmondson is an interesting guy, but he's also left-handed, and we'd also have to pay him a little bit too much uh, for the role that we would be expecting him to play. I don't know if he would play on the right side, and I think – the idea of Muzzin is, is, you know, something that Edmondson is already. And I don't know if they want to pay that for another left-handed defenseman. Um, if he plays right side, I mean, yeah, I think he would be good, but he's got, he's won a cup with St. Louis. So I don't think he would come cheap. Um, I throw one thing in there before you get going to, yeah, uh, of course, the, a reason that kind of like normally I'd be against free agent defensemen. I don't think that like, based on prior experiences and watching free agent day signing a free agent defenseman, who's not like a lights out number one guy is questionable, but this is the year that it could be interesting. Like uh, I read an article today about like that, like two to $4 million range player are going to be the ones who lose out. So that's where like a guy like Joel Edmondson, a guy like, you know, if you're signing a free agent where normally you kind of have to overpay to lower them, they're going to be looking for different circumstances than normal. So that's the only reason I'd include a guy like that is just, this might be the year where you might be able to talk a guy into a sweet deal where he has a chance of winning a cup as opposed to just trying to hit their payday. Sorry for interrupting that. I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think it's going to work out. I just don't think it's going to work out for a guy like at Edmondson's caliber. I think it would work out for maybe someone like a, at a Dylan DeMello level. Um, but here's the thing guys is UFAs are great and we can get someone on that bargain deal and we're going to more than likely do that. But we have to actually make trades 
it's not about, you know, do we want to add this player? Should we keep this guy? It's like, no, 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 no. Like we're pretty cap, you know, heavy here. We actually have to trade out a player to get another player uh, of similar values. So a Kapanen and a Janssen, for me personally, um, I would actually be more inclined to hang on to a Janssen than I would a Kapanen at this point, because I think Janssen's more, he's more willing to actually go to the net. I know we got, you know, Scrappy Cappy, but Scrappy Cappy will drop the gloves. I don't know if he's going to go to the net like Janssen's going to. I like the way Janssen, you know, leans on his stick to get, you know, into the dirty areas. That being said, I'm open to trading both of them. Why? Because we're going to re-sign Mikheyev and we got Robertson coming in who's, he's the guy that's got the will. I mean, when you see that guy on the ice, you're just like, Oh, look at that rookie go like, Oh, he's falling again, but man, he's getting up fast and he's going back to the corners, lift up the sticks and he's doing all that stuff. It's he's got it. Like, so I'm open to trading both. That'll free up, you know, six and a half something million dollars or something like that. And, uh, the players again that I'm looking at Pesci, uh, Manson, and my question to you guys, because I'm not familiar with this, and I've heard a rumor on it, is Doomba, what, what is he actually? Is he just another Barry? Is he an offensive guy or is he defensively sound? Because the rumor that I heard is that Nylander for Dumbo was out there. And if I'm being quite honest with you guys, like Brodeen and Dumba and all that, I don't care what the pieces are on the Maple Leaf side, but what I can see is Minnesota being pretty desperate to actually get younger and to maybe ship out some of their pieces. So I think Minnesota is a good trading partner, but what is Dumba? Do you guys actually know? Cause I really don't. Um, from what I can tell, he's maybe a, a bit better defensively than Barry, but it's pretty similar. I think in many ways, um, Spencer, do you have any thoughts on Dumba? I think he's misleading because I remember his draft year. They made kind of a big deal about him. He was projected to go top 10 and they just showed like clips of him clapping bombs and throwing huge hits. And, you know, I kind of get the same, like the the same idea that you do, Robin, that he he's built like he should be defensively sound. Like he's kind of got a little bit of a, he didn't, it didn't translate to the NHL quite like it wasn't junior, but like he does have a bit of grit, but that misleads people to think that he's a good defensive player when in reality, like he might be just average to slightly above average. Yeah. Yeah, Because we can't miss out on this. Dubas has got to nail this trade if he's going for it. And like, when I look at a Brett Pesci, I'm like, you know, there's the guy, but how many of him are there in the league? I don't know. Um, two other potential targets that I had in mind uh, one of which is I don't I don't actually think is a good one but it's just one that I remember there being a rumor of in the past was uh Ristolainen because he's basically just like a rich man's Cody CC from what I can tell and uh he so, so like basically he gets destroyed in possession terms and is always like minus 30 on the season but has a little bit of offensive flair to him so I'm seeing a big no from Spencer. You guys, you guys, I'm guessing are against any trade for Ristolainen. The guy can't even count. Do you remember that uh, like exchange between him and Kadri in the uh, the penalty box? He's like, we play four more times, and Kadri had to walk him down. Like, no, we play three more times. This was <laughs> one of those games. <laughs> but uh, I, I think he's. I don't know, like. He's a Buffalo player. And yeah. I got a couple of interesting <laughs> Buffalo names to throw out a little bit later. I'll save those. But uh, he's not the guy. No. No. Okay. Devin. 
Okay, here's, I'm not going off in la-la land here, but St. Louis, are they re-signing Petrangelo? And if they are, is it possible in some fantasy world that we could get Pareko off of them? And I, I know it's delusional, but they got Falk and they got Petrangelo. They got six top four defensemen. Give us one. Just, just give us one. That you fault know? contract is going to screw them so hard going forward. What the hell was that? I never understood it. I never no. got it. That, I just don't get it. Like, it could be what keeps them from retaining Pietrangelo for sure. So, yeah, I, I don't see Pareko leaving anytime soon, but I see them really being desperate to get about getting rid of that fault contract. Well, I, I would see like – sorry, Devin, go ahead. Okay, well, could we – put together a package and I'm going to throw it something that you guys might be like, Whoa, too much. But it's like, I don't want to go too little and be a delusional Leaf fan here, but like a Lilligren and a Nylander for like a Pareko and maybe one other like bottom six guy on their team, just to try to balance out the cap there a bit. I think honestly, if you're offering Lilligren and Nylander, you might be lucky to get Pareko. I think I don't think they're throwing anything else in there. I think they value him very highly. Yeah. I think he's going to be a tough pry, which like he addresses everything. He's the he's the solution, I think. I wouldn't say solution, but like he's the the guy that should be targeted if he's available, but I just I, I think that they look at things like if they can resign Petrangelo, obviously, he's our captain, he's a big body. Pareko's the next big thing. I would think that they'd rank them above the rest of their defensemen. And if they got to do some noodling, they'll shed, yeah. shed somebody Tom, there. But I, I still don't understand the Braun or the, is it Joe? What's his name? Falk. Falk. Falk yeah. Braun. What the hell? Okay. Tell me <laughs> what it would, tell me what it would take to get Pareko. Just, just tell me. What's the price? Too much. Um, I would think no, it's like not. That, <laughs> I want to know. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm ready. Like, Liliogren and Nylander. And, and like, if you're expecting to get something back from them, like, no, Maybe okay, no, 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 no. You, you tell me, you tell me just what I got to do. Robin, you can tell me um, too. Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I, I'm not in the mind of uh, Doug Armstrong right now, but uh, maybe, yeah, like if you're doing Nylander, you might have to include maybe like Sandine instead of Lilligren. Yeah. But or they like need, a they need the right second side. on top of that. Like, yeah. I think the thing is like, he's just, they've got to look at it. Like we have the right-handed defenseman that if we decide we're going to get rid of him, he's, everybody's going to be after him. We can ask for anything like Nylander or whatever. No, that's, you know, that's pretty good, but we got somebody else willing to give, like, I just, I feel like they're dealing from such a position of strength that, mm-hmm. and they don't have, I can't say they don't have to get rid of him, but I don't think they have to get rid of him. So it just makes it much more tougher to like envision this, but yeah, I'm like gonna, Sandine and sorry, sorry I'm going to jump in and move on to another potential target <laughs> who is, in my mind, just as valuable as Pareko and probably would cost similarly, but maybe a bit less, which is Ryan Pulak in uh, New York with the Islanders. No way they're trading him. There's no way. Probably not. There's, but, there's no way. But I think you're... Look at their, look at their lineup. So they've already got Devin Taves, who's like a, a solid offensive defenseman. So they've got... Um, Adam Pellick, they've got Scott Mayfield, who are both like underrated defensemen, uh, Noah Dobson coming up in the system and still Johnny Boychuk and Nicoletti are hanging around there. Not for much longer, but I don't know. What do you think? 
I, I think uh, they're, they're an interesting cap hell too, aren't they? Like Lou and Poe's cap hell. Don't Probably. they have to sign Barzell and a bunch of other guys with like $7 million? I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they're, they're in a tough spot. Yeah, like I, I don't expect to be able to actually get Pulak, but man, it would be sweet. I feel like he would be also, just like the ideal right-hand defenseman that we need. Don't they also have to re-sign Devin Taves? Is he an RFA? Um, I feel like both of them I don't know off RFAs, the top of my head. But it could be Ron. Yeah. But I feel like there's a good – I feel like they have enough bodies there on defense that they need to ship someone out, and it's probably not going to be Pulak, but – yeah, so maybe we could get someone like I haven't looked into their handedness, but someone like Pellick or Mayfield instead from them could be serviceable because they're they come with pedigree. It seems as as being a New York Islanders defenseman that could just be Barry Trotz, but that team plays well defensively. I don't know. Um, Spencer, do you want to get into your Buffalo guys? All right, so uh, I, I, they all fall into the category of reclamation projects. Um, now, this is one guy I haven't heard his name since last offseason, is Colin Miller. What the hell happened to him? Yeah. And, like, I remember him being, like, you know, holes in his game, but, like, like a little bit of an analytics darling, um, somebody who could be had for cheap. And when you look what Buffalo acquired him for, he was fairly cheap. Um, I just haven't heard tell of him in a while, and it's just got, he's a right-handed defenseman. He... I got to imagine is dirt cheap, but, um, and the other one is Brandon Montour who like, all I can think of is, uh, Nazem Kadri, uh, getting tangled up with him this year and calling him a shitty defenseman or whatever it was. He was saying like, you're a shitty defenseman on a shitty team. But, uh, he was just somebody who, you know, all along has kind of had a little bit of notoriety with him. I don't know if he was a first round pick or whatever, but coming up through Anaheim system, he was looked at as being a decent prospect. Um, he'd be somebody, I think he's only 24 or 25, maybe even 20, like I, somewhere in that range. Like he might be an interesting uh, body to explore. The the Colin Miller one, I think is more interesting to me just because I think he could be had for nothing because he's making a decent amount against the cap. I think he's making like 4.5 million or something like that. So I feel like the Leafs could float a fourth round pick and get Colin Miller for that or something. Could they also maybe even throw a third round pick and get to retain salary or something with yeah, exactly. the situation they're in? Like they may have to throw a little more, but because Buffalo doesn't need Colin Miller. I don't know why they made that trade in the first place. It's almost like they made the trade with the idea of trading him later down the line to someone. They thought they could like elevate him somehow, even though they had like nine NHL level defensemen already on the roster which is crazy to say because the Sabres are garbage, but they actually have so many defensemen. <laughs> um, I don't know. Devin, what do you think on, on those two, uh, two names? I think they're garbage. <laughs> don't, want, don't want anything to do with <laughs> Sabres like, I, players. I think that's like fair. No, well, I don't, I don't want yeah. anything to do with them. I, yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for a home run here. Like, let's face it. We need it. We need a top two right-handed defenseman and we're going to have to, if he's not in the UFA market and we can't just, you know, ship out guys to make space money that is for the signing, then we're going to have to trade something big. And I know I said no Marner and no Nylander we can do with help, but you guys are making it clear to me that, you know, a guy like Pesci and Manson, though we haven't talked much about Manson's value and Pareko these are the guys that can play the top minutes like Colin Miller. What? Like <laughs> he's not gonna, if he can't crack Buffalo's lineup, like, let me like, let me present it up. Like what if you did both? 
Like, what if you added a top two defenseman and then also increased your defensive depth so that whenever that guy gets hurt in the playoff, you have somebody other than Martin Marincin to jump in the lineup. <laughs> you'd have to, you'd have to oh. ship out a lot of salary to do so. Well, like Colin Miller may not sit, suit that situation either, but just like in general, like to your point, yeah. Be, yeah, you're not wrong. You're absolutely right. I'm just coming from a position of frustration because an anger, I'm still in the anger phase. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I, like, because I'm everywhere. I'm I like want to know just spin it. who these top four defensemen are. I'm afraid that Dubas is going to go out and trade for like a Klinberg. That's not what we need. It's not what we need. We need a solid two-way presence who can skate, move the puck. You know, when he's in the offensive zone, he knows what to do with it too. He might not put up the most points in the world, but he's, he knows what he's doing and he's a good leader and we need someone like that. Like, so who is it? Where is he? If he doesn't exist, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. And neither do I. And that I think brings me to our next level letter that we need to address, which is the the next D depression. Um, I feel like we've been screaming into a void for, uh, for almost an hour 20 now, just talking about this team that never makes the decisions that seem to be needed. And it's, 53 years and counting since the last cup. Um, I'm not even confident that they could win a cup if they were in a league with only six teams uh, like they were the last time that they won one. Um, I don't know how, where, where are you guys on the depression scale right now? Like uh, give me a one to 10 um, Spencer. How are you feeling? <laughs> I want Devin to go first. I, okay. I got Sure. Devin, how are you feeling about this, about this team? Where is your depression at right now as a Leafs quote unquote fan? Honestly, like I, I hate to just, you know, throw this question under the, under the bus and just deflect it, but I don't have time to be depressed for the Leafs anymore. <laughs> like it's just, it's gotten to that, that, that stage. I think I kind of flew past it where I'm just like, you know, I hope they make good moves. I've got some ideas of what I'd like to do, but I'm not the GM and I need to let go of that. And I, I have to just accept. I don't know, I don't know if I buy that, Devin. Or... I don't know if I buy that from you because the fact that you're on here talking Challenge, to me for yeah. an hour and 20 minutes tells me that there's still a, there's still a shred of uh, attachment to this team. There can be attachment, but there doesn't have to be depression going along with it. Look, when like, it's the Leafs, I think there has to be a bit of depression. <laughs> well, I feel empathy <laughs> for for those of us who are still emotionally <laughs> invested. Yeah, because like you know, Robin, like after game three, I just said, "Look, like I just need to kind of step back and let go from my my attachment to it and what I want to see and like the the emotional attachment that I had with it." And I kind of have done a bit of that. But, you know, for the sake of the podcast, I'll say that I'm, there's, you know, sure, mildly, mildly depressed, I guess. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, Maybe a little tangential off of that before I get to you, Spencer, on your depression scale. Um, I, I wonder how many Leafs fans are going to just abandon this team after, after this effort and maybe go to the Raptors, a team that basically embodies all of the things that we, we wish the Leafs could be. Um, Spencer, how are, how are you feeling depression wise? Oh boy. So I'm brandishing uh, a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. And it's a pretty big bottle. Little drink. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I had some Wayne Gretzky whiskey, but I polished it off. 
a short time ago. And uh, you know what? I'm going to have a sip here. Cheers, boys. Cheers. It's okay. It's okay. Um, Everything's okay. It's kind of the way I feel. Like, so we came in here and we talked about the Leafs opening. Just calm down. Calm down. (laughs) We came in. We talked about the opening day rosters. And I like kind of like preach patience and whatever. Um, I'm going to walk you guys through my experience in this series. So game one, they get shut out. I'm a little bummed, but I'm like, you know, what the hell is new? Okay. So I come into game two expecting a response and we get it. We get probably the best game they played this season was game two. So I'm pretty happy with that. Game three, they come in and they dominate until they don't. And that is the moment where they lost me in this series, where it was when they threw that, when they lost that game, I was like, okay. I woke up the next day and I can't remember what I had going on, but like I had a full day of shift and I felt bad all day. And it was like, I, I kind of blamed it on the other stuff I had to do. But in reality, it was like, I honestly think that my problem is that the Leafs blew a three nothing game. And I knew that I'd have to talk to somebody about it. I knew that I was going to get a message from the guy I shared a classroom with this year. who's was a big Bruins fan. Like I knew that I was going to have to deal with the shit. And it was just like, okay, I'm done. So I'm going to confess something to you that I haven't told a whole lot of people. I didn't watch game four. The big comeback, I was not watching it. I was playing uh, Crash Bandicoot, uh, the reignited trilogy, or whatever the hell it's called, while I scrolled through Twitter and saw like, oh, they made it 3-1. That's interesting. Oh, it's 3-2. And once Hyman tied it, I was like, I want to watch this game, but I'm not going to because I, like, you know, not very religious, not very superstitious, but like hockey superstition applies to me. So, I just didn't watch that game. I went into game five just thinking like, this is the way it goes. They want me to believe and I'm not going to do it. So like I was expecting exactly what happened. Nothing could have been more predictable than the Leafs getting shut out in game five after doing the exact opposite of everything they've ever done the game before. Like this team is Jekyll and Hyde. And uh, it was discouraging, but you know, I, I told you about all the anger I went through after wanting to get rid of Mitch Marner, hating Freddie, whatever, for that brief 30 minutes that I did. By the way, Freddie's a stud. Good looking dude. Ellen's favorite, by the way. Um, <laughs> I can't blame her. But uh, if I were to rank it, Robin, I'd say I'm at like a four or a five. And like, I don't know how high that scales, but like the way I just like, you know, you've warped me, boys. Like, yeah, no, I think you can't that, even fucking surprise me anymore. <laughs> I think that's the the flaw of us going through the the stages of grief with this team is that we have been going through these stages so many times, um, and it's just the boy who cried wolf at this point. I think that we all knew that this was going to happen deep down inside, uh, regardless of whether you picked the Leafs at the beginning of the series or not. You probably knew in your in in your head somewhere that they were going to lose to the Jackets. I did pick the Jackets to win the series. I'm a pessimist, but a realist, I think. Um, so maybe depression isn't the right word. Maybe we've actually moved on to acceptance, all three of us. Maybe we accept me, and, and I will say it with a caveat, maybe it's acceptance, but under different parameters this time. We've been jerked around so much by this team uh, that, hey, if they're not playing the way that we want to see them play, if they're not making the decisions that we want, we're just going to stop watching, it sounds like. Um, Devin, do you want to chime in on, on any of that there? I just want to say, I admire Spencer for his honesty and the way that he was able to just open up about exactly what he went through over those five games, (laughs) uh, because the narrative that he just outlined 
was exactly the narrative that I had discussed with you, Robin, and yeah. with Steven as well. Um, and when the team gets predictable like that, where you're predicting the failures and the sorrows with the amount of accuracy and detail <laughs> that we had. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> predict that comeback, but my God, did that throw that, that gave that gave it a little bit of an extra spice, a little bit of a different flavor than past years, but still yeah. the, the five game demise, I, I, I said they were going to lose in five. So um, yeah, no, thanks for laying that out there and just, you know, saying it the way it is. But uh, yeah, I, to your point, yeah, maybe depression is not the greatest word. Maybe we moved on to acceptance. Perhaps. Yeah. We're all just starting to kind of realize what is kind of happening here. And, and with that being said, then, I would say that I'm still hopeful. Wow. Coming out of all that, you know, and uh, still hopeful and you can, you guys can throw me under the bus if you want for it, but <laughs> I feel like, Oh God, you know, these, these young guys are, they still have some grown up to do. They're going to figure it out. They'll figure out the will along with the skill. And, uh, I just hope Shanahan kind of gets a little more involved in the, really start to add in some pieces that'll that'll make it happen so we'll yeah. see a lot of parody and i'm not going to throw you under the bus for being hopeful there Devin, because i i do want to add at the end of this that as i said the the comeback threw in a little different spice to this disappointment but it showed me something that i hadn't seen from this group before and it was an, it was a tiny moment in the series really but what a moment it was and it showed me that this team had fight in it that I didn't believe it actually had. Now, of course, Jekyll and Hyde team, they'd go and get shut out the next game. Uh, and that's entirely predictable from a Leafs fan's perspective. But I could not have predicted them scoring three goals with the goalie pulled uh, to come back in that game. And if I want to be hopeful about anything moving forward, it's that they showed me at least a little bit of fight somewhere in the series. Um. Anything you guys want to add to that there? Just on uh, my my side, um, I spelled acceptance wrong. As somebody who spelled Jerkowski right a few weeks ago, <laughs> um, I spelled acceptance wrong in my uh, little notes here. But um, for me, like the young core is locked up, whether we deal them, whether we do something with them, like I always try to put things into perspective. And you heard me ramble on about it, you know, probably an hour ago about how, you know, like I sat Ellen down after I got home. Like we, we've had a pretty big week. We're looking at houses, like we're a lot of shit's going on. And, uh, I came back from going into school and doing a bit of work and just like ranted about everything that I wanted to cover today. But one of the things I talked about really heavily was the Phil Kessel years and how like, you know, we had Phil Kessel and we had Joey Crabb. And like, I went to see a game in 2015 and my, the top line had, uh, Naz, Brad boys and Leo Komarov on it seen some shit is basically what I'm trying to say. Like if this team thinks that a few first round exits is going to be what, you know, scares me away, you're underestimating me. I have a little bit more in me. And to what Devin said, I got a little bit of hope, like factoring in the, the cold hard facts of what this core is. They may not be exactly what we want them to be right now, but they are promising and they're locked in. And, uh, you know, we can toy with that roster if we need to, but in, in reality, like I'm not going to let a five game play in against a team that matches up against us almost perfectly be what 
turns me away. Be what defines my fandom. Like, you know, I, I, like I said, I've, I've seen it all. This team is yet to surprise me. And I sat out probably the greatest comeback of the modern Leafs era in my lifetime because, you know, they can't surprise me anymore. Yeah. And I watched that happen and I just kind of chuckled. Like, it wasn't like, this is the craziest thing that's ever happened. It was like, <laughs> of course, right? So, um, I, silly I, like, Leafs fans, you don't know I, what the fall is going to be exactly, like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I still feel hope, but I am beginning to doubt Dubis in a way that I haven't quite yet. I still have faith in Shanahan. I still have faith. Like we, we never really nailed down the philosophy, but like the thing I love about Dubas and I, I read 31 thoughts this week, it talked about how, uh, well, Dubas has a philosophy. Dubas has a direction, but we saw it change this year with the Kyle Clifford move. We saw it like there are tweaks that will be made along the way. And I'm kind of content to see him grow with that, but like he's running at a time. Uh, I'm willing to give him time, but I think he's running at a time. And I love that Shanahan kind of shares the same vision, but like he's going to be put in a tight position eventually where like Kyle Dubas needs to start giving results. This is the time for results. So um, anyway, I, I could say a lot more about how hopeful I am, but um, I'm going to drink whiskey instead. <laughs> that's, that's a fair response. Uh, before I move it over to you, Devin, I do want to just say about like the Kyle Clifford deal. You're saying that was like a little atypical for Kyle Dubas, but I did read that Kyle Clifford uh, kind of surprisingly had, some of the best possession metrics amongst fourth liners in the whole, in the whole league. And so even though he plays a more physical game, he actually fits the kind of possession identity that I feel like Sheldon Keefe has, and Kyle Dubas really value. And we didn't nail down that philosophy, but I would say it is talent and possession went out is what I would feel like the, the overall philosophy is. Um, yeah. Did, uh, did you want to add to that at all, Spencer? Uh, no, never mind. Like I said, okay. I could get carried away here. So yeah, uh, yeah. fair yeah. enough. So Devin, I'm going to throw it over to you for a, for a sec. Yeah. Speaking of getting carried away, um, at some point when we roll into training camp next season, probably November, late November, early December, it'll be fun to talk about where they're at then and what we might expect. But I just wanted to raise a question to you guys and I love John Tavares, um, but what do you think it would be like if we had someone like a Shea Weber or like a, a Joe Thornton, like maybe a couple of years younger, or like, you know, a Jonathan Taze, um, someone who just, here's my question is do people listen to Tavares in the locker room? Do you think he has that presence where he can turn to the guys and say, Hey, like smarten up, like let's get going, like stop goofing off or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, so I told you this is a little bit off topic and a little bit different, but I just wanted to float that out there to you guys and see what you think. And of course I like John Tavares a lot, but just. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I, can see where the question's coming from for sure. Because when I listen to Tavares speak, I hear a lot of my own voice. I hear a lot of Nathan Fielder's voice. I hear a lot of just this, this kind of like nasal, not necessarily normal, like dominant uh, leader type voice. And it's nice to see an atypical uh, kind of leader personality or mentality. But at the same time, I wonder, cause like hockey is such a, simple game not a simple game but it's a game that's played mostly by people who think in a fairly linear fashion 
they're not really about and I'm not trying to criticize you guys because I know you've 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 played your fair share of hockey as well. I mean, just like guys who are in the NHL for the most part, and just the hockey culture around it um, is just. I don't know if there's as much plurality of different kinds of people and different kinds of voices that you feel like can can work and for to deliver a certain message. I think for them, they need someone who, like you're saying, like a Shea Shea Weber type, maybe. Although I've never even. Lake Wheeler, maybe. And, yeah, like just just these guys who are known for being just like really solid captains that are good at firing their team up and pushing the right buttons. Um, I I would like to believe that a guy like Tavares could be, but I think that maybe he's a little too soft spoken for hockey culture to be pushing the right buttons in the dressing room. Um, I don't know, Spencer. What do you think? When I think of what I've always responded to, and I mean, like, I don't have NHL caliber athletics to like line up with it, but like the guys that I always appreciated and the guys I always looked up to were the soft-spoken guys who said like, you know, I don't need to say much out here. I'm going to go out on the ice and show you what to do. And like John Tavares, I don't think had a great game one, but like he answered back in game two, he answered back in game three. Um, whenever the team was struggling, I felt like he was playing above fine. Like he, he's not going to be like, I look at this team as like, remember when they were losing like three, one to Ottawa going into the third period, maybe it was last year, the year before when Marlowe was still around. And apparently Marlowe gave this big speech in the dressing room that fired everybody up. And they came out one, five, three or something. Like uh, I look at Marlowe a lot like Tavares as like, you know, it's good to have that quiet presence and somebody who like, you know, when you hear them say something, you realize like, this is important. And, um, you know, I, I'd much rather somebody who leads by example, but at the same time, this is a really young group and, who knows what the hell they're responding to. They're going to respond to things a lot differently than me with my junior C background. Right. So <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting question to pose because like, I, I really like John Tavares and every time he gets me down, anytime he has a little dip in his play and I start to think like this contract may start aging a little early, he always backs it up. He always comes back and starts to show me that like this guy can still play leadership wise. It's really tough for me to say, but I still have faith in him. Um, I just think that, you know, any successful team has more than one leader. And if we're looking at him as the major problem, then maybe some of the other boys need to step up. Yeah. I think that's well said. Yeah. Very well said, actually. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And uh, I guess one last thing, just while I was thinking of it a little bit on the topic is uh, I, I was reading an article recently where Jason Spezza said he really, really wants to re up with the Leafs next year. He needs, he wants to talk to Dubas about coming back. Um, he is the person who I think proved in this series actually that he might be the second most prominent uh, leader on the team in terms of just like get, getting the people getting people fired up. Uh, <laughs> you never see Spets a scrap, but you saw him scrap as a 37 year old fourth liner. So, do you think that Spezza is a person that is should be near uh, the top of Dubas's priorities list, or is he someone that should come back on this team? I think so. Um, we'll have to see what moves they make in order to make sure the cap is there. Um, it just depends if you feel like he's got the energy to put in, you know, a, a decent enough season where maybe every, you know, eight or nine games, they can bring up someone who they think is competent enough to fill the spot without having to go and make a trade for someone who they're more confident in. That's not going to jeopardize a position for the playoffs or something like that. Similar to the role of a backup goaltender. They yeah, um, they could even have him just playing like half the regular season games or something, just to keep him fresh. But uh, Spencer, 
What do you think? I really like Jason Spezza. I, especially considering kind of the, the little hiccups he had throughout the year, not that they were self uh, inflicted or whatever, but Babcock didn't seem to like him, didn't seem to think he fit that role. And he just always came in with a positive attitude and seemed to, to plug away. Um, but I will present an interesting question. We don't need to get carried away with it, but like, would you rather Jason Spezza or Joe Thornton next year? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, that's really tough, actually, because I feel like at this stage in their careers, they're probably bringing about the exact same amount of offensive ability to the table. One has um, a better beard, though. One has a better beard, and yeah. that does weigh pretty heavily in, in, Spezza. in, my, in my debate between the two. 100%, 100% Spezza. It's not even a well, question I think, you for know, Spezza's going to work out, and I think that makes it a little easier to pilot. But, like, I, I just – the only reason I bring it up is from reading 31 Thoughts. I feel like it was mentioned in there, too. It's just like – If Thornton even can't said, have them both. Yeah, if Thornton even said, hey, I really want to come play for the Leafs, I'd be like, take a hike. You could have come here a couple of years ago with Marlowe, and you chose not to. Um and Spezza we had, to, had to pay him like Marlo though I'm glad he didn't come <laughs> yeah I know that's true but you know one thing we did not do I'm pretty, was shit on Lou Lamorello too uh we should have shit on Lou Lamorello right here because yeah the, the entire thing should have just been like Dubas and <clears throat> Lamorello is the reason we have all these problems well and that I think comes that's back to obviously the overall conflicted pick. but <laughs> I that's just so yeah anyways I, I do think Lamorello was definitely worse than Dubas but this has been a bad year for Dubas it has. He's made some questionable trades too. Cleaning up his messages has not gone well. No. Um, and yeah, like Devin, you were saying that 13th overall pick for Carolina, that hurts having to, having to spend that just to get rid of Patrick okay, Marlowe. Okay, okay. Let me just get this out here now. So it's out there. Here is my fear. <laughs> here is my fear is that four years from now, maybe even sooner, we're going to look back at that pick like in such a way that it's like, Wow. Yeah, like, like we'll look back at wow. it like like Tuka Rask or like Tyler Sagan. Niedermeyer, Niedermeyer's you know, yeah. pretty big, but yes, exactly like that. And we're going to be like, oh, there's the Leafs again going ahead and trading picks. Like, you know, it's nothing. And Robin, we have a history of it. I know you're a Puck Soup listener. I don't know about Devin, but I know Robin is. Um, after Down Goes Brown left the most recent episode, they were talking about the Barry trade and they said it was going to go down as one of the worst trades in Leaf history. And I thought that was very ignorant of them. I think that's hard to think. I think so too. Not only mm-hmm. like, you know, the optics of the trade, but like yeah. the Leafs have had some terrible trades. Totally. That is. Yeah. Like that. I don't even <clears> think <throat> that like is on the radar. I don't even think it's close. No. Yeah. I don't no, think and, so. And in terms of just like, um, the, the, they weren't, they didn't get tied down to Barry or like, or like, it's not like they signed him immediately to like an eight year, $8 million contract or something, eight million a year contract. Um, you can argue was, that it was clever too, like even though it didn't pan out, like there were aspects yeah. of it. They were just like outside the box. So. In hindsight, yeah. twenty twenty, but Kadri, like we said, was someone who the fans and most prognosticators said had to go at the end of last year. Not um, only that, but we did get Kerfoot like for a number of years locked in, and he's a solid third line center by you know most standards. Kadri was a luxury at best. We could have said we it would have been better to have traded him for someone that would have been more successful on the back end, like for sure. But I mean, you know, it was not certainly not one of the worst trades. All right. So uh, with all that being said, I think we've moved pretty, pretty well through our stages of grief for today. Um, I'm going to, yeah, just put an end to the acceptance segment there and uh, just ask you guys, if you have any, uh, any plugs or any other things that you want to talk about before we head out. 
Um, so for me, um, just the boys can see it, but you guys can't. Um, I got my Tyne Valley Tornadoes jersey hanging up behind me. I've already spilled a bit about what the tornadoes are, but um, we had our rink burned down in December. It was just shortly after Christmas. I woke up to a text from my mother of a burning building, had no idea what the hell it was, and found out it was my hometown rink. So I was pretty bummed. Um, but, uh, we made it into the final four of craft hockeyville. So if, uh, you boys, and if anybody listening want to hop on and vote for us, the voting starts tomorrow and it's only, uh, I think it's the 14th and the 15th tomorrow and Saturday. So get in a couple of boats and it'll help us out. Um, it's hard to compete with twilling gate cause I love Newfoundland, but I don't even know who the hell else is competing <laughs> Vote for Tyne Valley. Yeah, no, I, I agree, uh, with that sentiment. Love Tyne Valley. Also love twilling gate. But I'll, I'll give you the vote in Tyne Valley. I, I don't really know anyone in Twillingate. So, <laughs> um, Devin, do you have anything that you wanted to say before we head out here? Mm, not really. No, nothing, uh, nothing worth mentioning at this point. It's all good. All right. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot again, guys, for, for joining me on this one, getting some things off our chest. Hopefully this has been a little therapeutic for you guys. Um, I think in some ways it has been for me. It's definitely uh, been helpful to talk talk through some of my issues with you and just see how uh, you guys are coping with with things. What maybe some uh, ideas are for moving forward as a Leafs fan, maybe not being quite so invested. Um, in any case, thank you and uh, stay happy, stay healthy, and hopefully the rest of the playoffs give us something fun to watch. Take care, boys.